As the world begins to emerge from the cave of the 21st century and opens its eyes onto the suffering from centuries of injustice and the bastardization of what it means to be free, the new Nomos podcast is a call. A call for a new beginning. A call for the new men and the new women that yearn to be truly free. A call for us to fulfill our destiny. A call for a new Nomos on the earth. Welcome to the New Nomos Podcast. I'm Abdallah Dutton, inviting you to join me on this journey of discovery to define what the New Nomos is and what we need to get there. In this episode, I wanted to look deeper into the idea of knowing yourself and really finding your true essence. In reflection on who I could have a conversation with on such a subject, I realized the best man for the job would be Rashad Ahmed, a life coach and a man that I had the honor of traveling with to the Hajj. As somebody that has devoted his professional life to helping others become more self-aware, I was sure he'd be the one that would be able to provide the insights that I was looking for from his experience in the field of self-knowledge. And I wasn't disappointed. So, without much further ado, I present to you Episode 3, Life Coaching, Unlearning, and Transcending Logic. Wisdom has to be followed even though it transcends your rational mind. And so the reason why most of us are in the situation we are in when it comes to being confused about the quality of our lives, because life does not make sense. Life in its essence is not a rational uh, inquiry. Uh, for me, coming from the, from, the, from the upbringing of a traditional Muslim Indian family, I had to discover in all of this my life's purpose. So the, the thing that we were taught to do is uh, to be good fathers. Your life purpose would be to be a businessman, to be uh, rich and famous and successful and uh, you know, uh, char charitable. There was also those honorable kind of things as well. Be in the mosque, you know, pray and uh, you know, give your zakat and all this kind of stuff. And they were all great. But why was I doing those things? And we don't ask that question. We're told to just accept things the way they are, but we all know deep down inside us that the world needs change. Now, if you look through history, change has always happened by people. You know, it's people make change. And, and, and the great change and the beneficial change towards justice and positive things has always been led by people who are heroic. What's the definition of heroic? You said they're all heroic. I'm just wondering what your perception is. Well, I mean, look, that's the other, that's the other thing because uh, I did try and articulate it before. And it was like, what, what I feel is lacking are the great political leaders and that heroism. But at the same time, then going through the Waldgang, you see that Ernst Jünger specifically defines Three, he gives three examples, uh, Sidna Dawood with David and Goliath, Joan of Arc, and William Tell. And they were three figures 
that weren't necessarily born into their role they weren't princes or princesses they weren't they hadn't genetically inherited anything they were your you could say your average man they were just normal humans but because of their deep you know their their deep knowledge of the divine and their trust in the divine they had they were free and they were heroic there is another aspect of the hero if you look at the hero's journey as Joseph Campbell talks about, yeah. it is each individual's journey to the hero within him or her that you're discovering. So what I would say in all this noise and, and, and the way I would approach it, which I found very beneficial, is that, yes, we need a political figure. We need someone who's going to lead us, someone that's going to be a hero. But at the same time, it, it, that, that, that space can never arise with this noise, this noise of, of, of rational thinking, of, uh, of, of dominating us in a way where media is controlling the entire, you know, the, the subject and everything that, that, that we're perceiving, what we should be doing, how we should be doing it and all the rest of it. I'm saying if you open up some space within yourselves to go within and start discovering at the essence of what you truly are and who you truly are. There's no way you can get to know the divine unless you know who you are, right? So you could, you could say, get to know who you are, and then you can get to know the divine, and then you can be guided by the divine. But until that noise is not settled inside of you, you can't begin the journey of the hero. So I believe that right now, the, the hero that we're looking for is each individual person, because when you finally discover what and who you truly are in one word unlearning unlearning is the next stage once you truly discover who you truly are you find that you align with people that have discovered who they truly are and together the heroes arise and there's this thing in nature that they talk about where things move in harmony there is this pattern that forms organically and from that a person is appointed with the characteristics of the leader because, because the heroes recognize him and say, you know what, I see in him or her, depending what you're doing, the characteristics of what we need to achieve. And so, so, so together you find the hero within yourself and then you go about finding the, the hero together in, in, in that particular way. I'm looking at the word hero probably not from the way you know, you're, you're, you're particularly understanding. Okay, well, let me just put in a point there that this is a journey of discovery. So I'm not saying that this is this or right, that right. is that. So then you add it to I'm it. I'm saying like, this is another point, a node on my journey. And maybe from this, four or five other different right. spin-off episodes come out of it. There are two things that I did want to yeah. ask you about, yeah. though, based on what you just said. One was, what about somebody who says that they this is just the way they are what about somebody who says i'm not going to conquer this fear because it's just a fear that i have and i'm not interested in conquering it not interested in conquering is taking personal responsibility but that's that's an empowered statement the way you framed it you see if you say i choose not to do anything about it that's an empowered statement what most people do is say it's just the way i am i can't change it it's just me so so that's uh, okay so what was the second one the second one was on unlearning because basically what I'm saying is, is it then that the, most of us today have just got so much baggage that in order to really free ourselves, all we have to do is start unlearning? 
Absolutely, absolutely. More unlearning. But just let's finish off that last topic of the not choosing to confront things. Maybe because it's too it's too painful. Uh, there is this thing that we talk about in coaching and in psychology called learned helplessness. Right. Learned helplessness is society and upbringing teaches us that, you know what, sometimes you just have to accept things as they are. And so that becomes a belief system. You know, the example of the elephant, when they're young and they put the elephant and they tie the foot up around a rope, and, and as the elephant grows up, when it's old, it won't even try to escape. Because it still thinks that, this, that his foot is attached to the rope, but they remove the rope and it doesn't run away. Because the elephant has learned to be helpless. Because it's, it's learned. And so that thing is, is, is a condition that occurs in many of us where we say, we can't change the situation, you know. And you'd say, why? And then logically, if you explain it to them, well, all you've got to do is sit down, write this down and say, I no longer want to do this, and then get some help. But that's too much of an effort because we don't feel empowered enough because we've learned to be helpless. Mm -hmm. And society at large is part of that conditioning. So how you said that, you know, uh, we need to stop accepting things as they are. You see, it's, it's, it's playing out on two levels here. On the one level, they're saying, you should fight for everything you believe in. That's what they tell you. Your happiness is most important. Fight for it. So there's definitely not that happening. But what they're not telling you is that the reason why you're even searching for your happiness is because they've created this entire system around you that is based on the capitalist or the, you know, the consumerist uh, ideology, which is that you're never going to be having enough. You're always going to be looking over your shoulder at the guy who's doing more than you. So, so that psychology and that, that, that psychosis, you could say, is, is, is just confirming this belief that you're not good enough. And then they say, no, but you're empowered enough to do whatever you want. They're not looking at the big system and how it's created in such a way that learned helplessness, feeling inadequate, and also, you know, you're watching these programs of all these celebrities doing these amazing things, and then they show you them flopping and them not doing so well. And so you get this feeling of, look, Kim Kardashian, look at her. She thinks she's all that and her boyfriend left her. And so you're sitting in your armchair without moving a finger with the entertainment and the, and the, the screen is one of our major causes of all of this because we're experiencing life as if though we've actually lived it, but we're still sitting in front of the screen. So, so we're becoming more and more uh, disempowered. And one of these other things, which is, uh, the irony is that the more choices we have, the more confused we become, right? And that's another thing we call analysis paralysis. Well, that's something that I see in the world of social media, where you have um, everybody posting an opinion. You have like a whole load of influencers posting their opinion on a certain thing. And it's almost like every single person has a different view on it. And they each give their own little niche that they've kind of carved out in the world. But now you have like on, you have 20 different opinions on one thing. Which, which opinion do you take? Yeah, well, when it comes to opinions, it's, it's obviously very much subjective and based on well, what you well, want. Well, but it's not what opinion do you take, but which person do you trust? Because even then, like with all of these influences, it's not a, it's, everything is um, affiliate marketing and everybody's getting a kickback here or there or being given a commission for this or for that. This is a good point because what you're leading to is how to think, learning how to think in yeah. the first place. So why are we going to seek information out there, right? What's the purpose of it? And why do we need to go and decipher through all of this? So for instance, 
One of the things that a lot of the clients face is great confusion in this in this society because on, on the one hand, it'd be like, oh, you've got all the choices in the world. You can choose which decision to make and you can put it through your spreadsheet and decide you know, what you should do. Or on the other hand, you've got Amazon. I was looking for headphones for my daughter, right? So I said, let me go look in Amazon. There was 11,500 choices of headphones, <laughs> right? So I said, you know what? I'm, I'm in a really good mood. I'm nice and fresh. Let me try the first three pages and there's 20 results on each page, right? So I'm like, okay, well, let's look at price. Because I'm very rational and logical, right? And I'm going to get there because we're going to apply this formula. I don't know if I get to 11,000, but at least I can get to the first, say, I don't know, 1,000. You know, because I want to make the right decision. You don't want to make the wrong decision, right? And that's the thing. That's the point we're going to come back to. What is the right decision? If you get that, then you understand life, right? So now you say, I was scrolling through that and looking at the reviews. Then I realized that this guy may be saying something and he's being biased, right? Because maybe he doesn't like the product because he had a bad experience with another product. So then I narrow it down and say, okay, well, that's got 3,500 reviews. And, you know, most of them have been favorable. And then the price was out. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. Now we've got to start again. So I said, okay, tell Amazon in this price category. And all of us have faced this. We know it's, it's quite, quite humorous. But, and then, then you're looking at the one that was $75 and you're saying, you know, <laughs> it's very difficult to decide. Now, imagine you had all the budget in the world and at all the time in the world, right? You'd sit there reviewing 20,000 results, okay? And then choosing the most expensive headphones. Does that mean you've made the right decision? Undeniably, there's no convincing proof that you would have made the right decision because your daughter would have went, which she did, but I like the pink ones. <laughs> and you're like, but I didn't know no color was, now you, you should have told me that. <laughs> now I'm going to review this based on that. So what I'm saying is that, as you apply this rational analytical analysis framework to anything, there is no guarantee that the outcome or the decision is going to be correct. So, so many of my clients spend all this time feeling that they're lacking clarity. They're like, how do I know what to, to do? What's the right decision to make? Because I feel so stuck. I can't decide whether I should go into becoming a, a, a pastry chef or becoming a Pilates instructor. Or on the other end, you know, I can't decide whether I could, should go to teach astronomy or become a painter. You know? So you're all trapped in there. And you know what happens most of the time? They go back to the couch. That's what happened with me at Amazon. I'm like, you know what, close it. I went to the local store, bought the cheapest headphones. I told my daughter, you're going to have to deal with it. And she says, you know what, Daddy, I love this headphone. I'm like, after all of that, Right? And I always use the example of my, my blessed mother. So I had a, a situation where I moved to Cape Town and you know, financially I was not working because I decided to make other choices and pursue other things that were more, more important to me than being the, being the wage slave, if you want to call it that. Right? Mm. And so I said to my mom, I've got two choices. I have a place that costs you know, 5,500 and there's other place that costs 7,000 rands. And I can't decide which one to take. Could you help me? Because I was so confused. So the one for 5,500, I liked, but it wasn't spectacular. And the one for 7,000, it was pretty nice, right? So I called mom. I said, mom, what should I do? Should I take the one for 5,500 or the one for 7,000? She says, do you have a job right now? I said, no. She said, can you afford the one for 5,500? I said, no. She said, take the one for 7,000 then. <laughs> I said, but where's your logic, mom? You're not getting what I'm saying. She said, if you take the one that you love, then eventually, this is wisdom, this is wisdom. Eventually, you'll find the money. And you know what? 
at the end of the month, the money came in. And I don't know from where. Now, if you put that on the spreadsheet and you try to calculate that, guaranteed you'd take the one for 5500 and you'd suffer the entire month and you probably won't get, end up getting the rent. And one of the things that we do in order to counter this uh, analysis paralysis is I say go into the restaurant and order the first thing you see on the menu. Because your instinct is to say, oh, let's go look at it. I wonder if the steak is nice or the chicken should be well done. And I say go in and just whatever comes to your mind. Steak, well done. Thank you very much. Close the menu and give it back. Because what you're doing is learning to trust that intuition within you because the, the Western society or Western uh, choice, you know, is giving the false illusion. You're reminding me of the Dada movement, which was an art movement at the beginning of the 20th century where the artists were striving to reject logic and reject reason um, through their art. And... I mean, Dadaism was a was a was a major influence on what would become surrealism, with the kind of key proponents such as uh, Max Ernst and uh, Salvador Dali. And one of the techniques they used was called automatism, which was creating pieces of art without thinking, so kind of bypassing any kind of conscious control. And something alongside this was automatic writing, which is something I did for a while. And basically, you just write and see what comes out. And you do that every day. You write two or three pages of A4, which you'd think would take quite a while. But you're not thinking. You're just writing whatever's on the tip of your mind. You know, you just pen to paper and you just let it come out. And it's actually relatively quick. And when you do that consistently for a few days, you start seeing like a lot of stuff emerging from within you. And yeah, it kind of, it really helps to just break break through your own logic you transcend logic and what people must not misunderstand is that your mind and your brain and your ability to think and to perceive and to understand and to and to and to navigate the world are all wonderful tools that you can use and that the intellect is a powerful thing it's not about abandoning the intellect it's about leading from the heart so for me my coaching is lead from your intuition lead from your heart which is based on non-rational and then use this powerful organ of deduction of analysis and in order to come to a conclusion that your heart indicated so in the example of my my, my mom she said well take the one that's more expensive it's based on heart-based thing now i've got to say rationally or you could say analytically how do i convince the landlord to give me the place and that's when you apply that type of logic onto it so that's something to understand but, you know, you spoke about writing and how when you write, you know, the words flow. And I, I caught myself out because, you know, I take notes on the laptop because it's easy, you know, on, on my phone. At that, at that point, I want to pause you. Okay. Because I had this conversation that I was sitting in a coffee shop and I had my journal and I was writing with my pen into this journal. And somebody sat down and, and looked at me and he was quite shocked and he said to me, like, oh, do you still write? I'm like, well, yeah, obviously, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I was kind of taken aback because in my head, writing is when you, when you use a pen on a piece of paper. And I looked at him and I'm like, yeah. He said, but everybody writes on a computer nowadays. And I just looked at him. I said, that's not writing. That's typing, you know. <laughs> and it was, it was just so, yeah, just to continue, I just had to put that in there because no, you're, that's you're saying you were writing on the computer. But yeah, so when I was typing on the computer, 
I realized then, you know, when you're writing a list of things to do. So I tried that. I was writing a list of things to do on the computer, right? Or typing. And I said, <laughs> the top 10 things that I want to do today. And you know what? I did one of them and I didn't do nine of them. The next day, I took a piece of paper and my little notebook out and I wrote them. I got seven of the things done. Now, now I'm not saying that writing for task doing is superior, but there is something about you sitting and reading a book. You grab a physical copy of a piece of paper, which is the book form, and there's something again, which we call baraka or the life essence and all it's this unseen world that we can't quantify. When I use quantum, because that's the, the world of the quantum, right? But it has an impact on what's in this world. With a book, there's also the, the tactile aspect. That's the big too. thing. When you, when you look back at handwriting, there is something that happens in the physical universe that you can't quantify that it's almost as if though the universe, I use the word universe synonymously with everything else that you want to describe as the divine, yeah. but it's etched in writing. It is there on record. And so it's been spoken. And when it's been spoken and it's been written, then it has become material. It has become, it has been given the life essence. In the, in, on the inscribed in hieroglyphics on the inside of Tutankhamun's tomb. It was written, write it and it will happen. Well, there you go. Well, this is the essence of it. That, that, that is it, that when you write things down, so when you're trying to manifest, you know, uh, manifest, in other words, that you want to attract certain things in your life, that you write it down and you list it. So coming back to, you, you mentioned unlearning. And and my question to you is: Is it then that we? There's, it's not that we need to learn how to find ourselves as much as unlearn all of the baggage which is blocking us from knowing who we are. Yes. So so when when someone says that I need to find out who I am, the only way you can do that is to first find out who you're not, because after when you remove what you're not you will be staring with a glare on your face at to what you truly are. And that, the essence of self-discovery is the process of unlearning everything that you thought, not that you are or felt that you are or believed or perceived or intuitively knew that you are, but what you thought you were. And that those thoughts become uh, things that, that guide us into into beliefs, into is the thought becomes a belief, and then the belief becomes something that we hold on to. But why do you believe that? And 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 how did that thought become a belief? So, in the process, if you look at what um, what some of the ancient uh, teachings of the 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 yogis of the you know the mystics from India, from uh, China, and from really Persia and everywhere else, because. Nowadays, you know, many thousands of years later, we've identified them as the Indian thing and the shaman thing and the this thing and the Aboriginal thing, but it's all the same. All these ancient knowledges have the same root. They will tell you the same thing. And the process of discovery is all pretty much the same in essence. So that's something too important to note. It's not, you know, a teaching that is so diverse and so different. It is the essence of life. And so, so, so there's a technique which, which, uh, which the yogis practice called vipassana. Now, vipassana is a process of sitting in silence. So it's a technique. In other words, the summary of it, sit in silence, shut up, don't talk. 
So part of going on a retreat, of a Vipassana retreat, would be you'd spend 10 hours a day for 10 days not speaking, not doing anything, but sitting with your back straight in a posture just there. Listening or just doing nothing? Nothing. You stare at a blank wall. Yeah. Yeah, madness, right? And out of that, and I've done a few of these in one form or the other, <laughs> when you, you know, there's a great uh, French um, philosopher, he says that all man's problems stem from the fact that he can't sit alone in his own place of silence. I forget the guy's name, he's an incredible uh, man. And a few other people, if you look at Rumi, if you look at probably uh, Aristotle and all these, these people, when you can sit in silence and encounter yourself, yourself is this incredibly complex and illusionary uh, uh, thing that you've constructed your thoughts, your beliefs, your patterns, your pains, your, uh, your, your entire perception. And when you're sitting there, forcing yourself to sit there and watching as the awareness, as the awareness is that I am tired. No, you're not tired. You are feeling tired. The I is the one watching. You are the observer. So when you say, I'm sad, no. Who is the I? When you say, I... I, 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 uh, I'm not myself. Who is the I that's not himself? Yeah. So I, I don't feel myself. When we have a self-esteem issue, I don't like the way I look. According to who? According to me, I don't like the way I look. So who's the I looking at I, right? Or I am, uh, you know, so, so, so the whole point is that who is I? And if you get to who is I, then you get to the source of life. Which is the divine. Which is whatever you want it to be, but I don't say that. You could say that. But you see, part of unlearning... Well, Junger did say that. Junger said that, Rumi said that, everybody said <laughs> that. The point is not who said that. Did you say it? Mm. And this is the point of self-discovery, because this is what we do. That one said it, that one said it, that one said it, and all of them are true. They were not saying they're all crap. But you have to discover your essence, your voice, your wisdom, your intuition, your heart's calling, and that voice inside of you, and then say, oh yes, who, who am I? And then when you un unlearn in the process, okay, well, if I have to throw out the baby in the bathwater, which I recommend, and most people say, oh, don't do that, you'll lose your identity, and you'll become one of these horrible creatures, you know, that will, you know, become a savage and kill people and, you know, molest children or something like that. I'm saying, no, I've done it. I've done it safely. And the people in but my... ironically, now that you say that, is the people that don't go on that journey that are the ones that do become the molesters and the child this and the, Perfect, that, that, that. Beautiful, beautifully said. And so, so when you start that process of self-discovery, which is very painful, very painful, and it's very unsettling. I never knew how unsettling. And it takes great courage. And I think it was Rumi who said, no, one of the men you can find out that the greatest journey you ever take is the journey... In, inwards I think it was Rumi so because when you start going inside of the label of I am for instance myself I am South African and I am Indian and I am Muslim and I am a father and I'm a uh, IT professional and I am a gardener and I like uh, cooking uh, you know uh, you know pastas and why 
why how why you how you what what is this you know where did you come from what what is this thing and you start exploring and the more you start questioning with this some people would say you know some people don't agree with this and i'm i'm not some people it worked for me and it worked for people in my immediate environment and people that i encounter with and say why is it that you feel that you were born this way oh no i was born because you know i believe they've got a a condition i was diagnosed with a condition and ever since that i had that condition my whole life has become a mess and i said have you questioned that perhaps maybe that that the person diagnosing was not accurate in his diagnosis oh yeah but what do i know i mean i'm just a person and you know he's the he's the professional and the professionals never get it wrong right and so the, the this type of thing if you start questioning because that you see people would say well don't go question everything just question just surface level stuff because you don't need to go to the essence of the stuff just question oh yeah yeah you know you don't have a disease and you're perfectly healthy no you've got to go all the way throw everything out and then start again who am i okay so on that note for somebody who's listening what is your call to action to get them moving towards that the first step is close your eyes be in a place of silence and in stillness and now begin watching your thoughts something that has been governing your life we think between 70,000 and 80,000 thoughts a day nobody has ever thought thought of looking at the source of these thoughts and when you start recognizing that 80% of those thoughts have the same patterns that repeat the same story about who you are and all of them are false start with that and say and ask yourself this powerful question that disengages the thought process but will give you access to the true essence of who you are ask this question what am i going to think of next just that process what am i going to think of next let's try it for a second now okay you ask yourself this question close your eyes for a second mm-hmm. and say i wonder what i'll think of next now watch i wonder what i'll think of next ah oh. what did you think of nothing exactly precisely because who was the i that was asking this question that is amazing the i and the thinker <laughs> <laughs> when you watch oh my that is i was trying to think that it's time for us which way past is time for margaret almost oh is that what were you thinking when i asked the question no i wanted to think that oh, you as wanted. soon as i thought it as soon as i was like oh what am i going to think of next when you say i wonder i wonder what i will think of next you immediately disassociate from the thinker which now gives you access to amazing discoveries is that you are not your thoughts you are the observer now watching your thoughts and if you are not your thoughts therefore your thoughts are not automatically you which means that when you think a thought you don't become the thought so instead of saying i am sad you say i am feeling sad there's a disassociation and now you're in a state of empowerment because you are no longer the one 
that is reacting. So when someone says something, you don't say, I'm upset. You would say, I think I'm feeling upset based on that person's thing. And now you're in a state of being empowered. And when you start recognizing the thought patterns and start going beyond them, there is this clarity and there's this peace that, you know, people want this happiness. And I say, no, happiness is never going to be found outside of you. When you discover that you are not your thoughts, and in fact, you are being thought. You are not the thinker. You are being thought. That's a mind bender. Why did you think that thought? And can you think a different thought? So who is thinking? And are you, are you thinking or are you being thought? There is this collective. <laughs> there is this collective thought patterns. You're thinking original thoughts. But you realize that on the planet today, everybody's thinking the same thoughts. And they just got a different form. Of those 20 different points that you mentioned that people are saying, they're saying the same thing. They're just giving a different point of view. But nobody's thinking original thoughts. And the only way to come up with original thoughts is to step out of the thought game. Wow. I have to say that producing this episode was a real challenge. I mean, trying to maintain concentration at the end of a long day of fasting, especially with Rashad's mind bending towards the end, was, uh, was not easy. Uh, but I have to say it was truly worthwhile. And it felt like I left having had a free coaching consultation. And that's something that I hope transfers onto you as a listener. What really resonated with me was the idea of finding out who you are not in order to find out who you are. And on reflection, it's like one has to keep trying new things, keep pushing one's comfort zone, and then, I guess, take Richard's advice, sit in silence in one's own company and ask, is this me? And if it's not, try something else, try the opposite. And if Rashad really resonated with you and you want to and you want to connect with him, he's very active and has a strong following on LinkedIn. Otherwise, you can get in contact with him through his company, Zen Coach. I've added links to both in the description of this episode. Thank you.